Nicole Rigger, a Florida True Crime Podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. And I'm Lexi Bear. And you know what, Lexi? I was thinking, we have done so many podcasts recently about serial killers. For some reason, Florida is a magnet for serial killers. But we really haven't delved into what makes up a serial killer. What causes someone to become a serial killer? I know we haven't done Eileen Wuornos, a female serial killer, but we've really covered the men in Florida. And you asked a question. What if your boyfriend's a serial killer? Or your neighbor. Or your coworker. Or your husband. Or your best friend. Yeah, you don't know. So what are the key ingredients that go into becoming a serial killer? First of all, define a serial killer. I know before in some of our podcasts, we've kind of delved into that, but let's refresh it. Well, a serial killer is typically a person who murders three or more people, usually in a service of abnormal psychological gratification, with the murders taking place for over more than a month. Okay. And so it's not like a mass killer. It's a serial killer. So it's No, not like it's someone who takes their time and does it over a long period of time, and it's usually two or three or even more people. Okay, so those are the prerequisites to becoming a serial killer. So there was a guy I worked with in Gainesville at Channel 20. I remember you were telling me about this dude. <laughs> this guy's name is Chris. And, you know, we always said that he would end up being the guy shooting out of the clock tower at the University of Florida Gainesville campus because oh my he was God. so weird, you know? We thought, oh, if that story ever materialized, it's going to be him up there with the gun. Yeah. But one time we went to Silver Springs, I, I did a, a piece out there, you know, nose to nose with the animals, and he was my photographer, and he threw a hissy fit and just, because the photographer drives the van, I'm in the passenger seat, and he puts the seat back and refuses to drive me home. Oh, my God. And then he's sent to cover the county commission meeting. And he comes back with the tape, and he lays it on the news director's desk, and he leaves and walks out and says, I'm done. He's quit his job. So we popped the tape in, and he had gone to the commission meeting, and he didn't shoot the meeting. He just shot people's hands. What? That were folded in their laps. Just different hands. Different hands. All angles. It was all angles of hands. That was all he shot. That is so creepy. That is creepy, right? So who knows where he is? And and whether or not that's an indicator of being a serial killer, we don't know. But there are four kinds of serial killers. There's the angel of death. The angel of death, that's mostly like doctors who are caretakers, right? Oh, there's some nurses. Yeah, they've killed hundreds, they believe, patients. The best way to do that is with an air embolism. You just inject it in. No one knows. Oh, it's like that creepy English doctor I was talking about on the Bundy podcast. Or the Samuel Little, I'm not sure. Yeah, so the caregiver, but that's not really, the angel of death isn't truly the serial killer that we're going to talk about today. What are the three others? So you've got mothers who kill their children, those with hatred for certain groups of people, and then the serial sexual. Which serial sexual, we've covered a lot. We've had a lot of those. And are serial killers born or created? And this is a really, really interesting question because are they a product of their upbringing or were they just born that way? Or, well, or did they become that way? I would argue both, right? It's possible. 90% of serial killers are psychopaths. The, the serial killer, more than 90%, meet criteria, hard criteria for psychopathy. Almost all of them are sadists, meaning that they meet criteria for sadistic personality, as it had been described. Enjoyment of the suffering of others is a key quality, and a, a, a love of control and domination of others, etc. 
obviously that's a mental health professional. So you have more information on this. Yeah, I was looking into it once we went over, is your boyfriend a serial killer? Is your coworker? I was researching and I came to this website, 10 signs someone you know might be a serial killer. And the 10 signs are white American male, the McDonald triad, which we'll go into later, guns, bragging, emotional manipulation, antisocial personality, poor impulse control, which is like lots of masturbating. Oh dear. <laughs> Voyeurism and history of abuse. Okay, so that's interesting. Let's get into and really delve into some of the things you just brought up. What is a psychopath? A narcissist is somebody who lacks empathy, is grandiose, is entitled, is constantly seeking validation, is arrogant. Um, it's a disorder of self-esteem, and they have trouble regulating their self-esteem. But when a narcissist does a bad thing, they feel a fair amount of guilt and shame. Psychopaths are a different animal. They're all of those things except no guilt, no shame. They don't feel remorse when they do something bad. So they're great serial killers, hired assassins, people who are going to go in and literally sort of gut a business. These are your guys. They're like, I don't, I don't care who gets hurt. They'd say that and they'd mean it. Okay, where a narcissist is like, I hope no one gets hurt. The difference between the psychopath and the sociopath is the one where most people get confused because the sociopath is a lot like the psychopath. They do bad things and they don't care. Okay, here's the key difference. A psychopath is born and a sociopath is made. So a psychopath, in fact, we know in the research on psychopathy, which has also been called antisocial personality disorder in our diagnostic manual, these are people who are actually believed to have slightly different autonomic nervous systems. Our autonomic nervous system is actually that part that holds our sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight and flight system. So when our autonomic nervous system for a normal person gets charged up, which it would if we broke a rule, if we did something embarrassing or rude, if we ran through a red light, our heart starts racing. Mm -hmm. We sweat, our, our pupils get wide, we look around because we're afraid of the consequence. A psychopath doesn't have that same kind of arousal. That's why they're able to lie on lie detector tests. So that's Dr. Romani, and she's brilliant. I love her. And so let's kind of unpack all of that. So you've got the narcissist, and we, many people on radio, are narcissistic. <laughs> okay. All right. So we've got that. So there's many people with that. But it doesn't mean you're a psychopath. You, it has a lot to do with what you just brought up in terms of feeling remorse. These people have no feeling. They have no empathy. They're disconnected emotionally. Completely disconnected emotionally. Very good. And also then you've got the sociopath. So as she said, some of it's learned and some of it you're just born that way. Now, Another key factor is that some of these people cannot sustain a relationship. I know Ted Bundy had the girlfriend, Liz, and he was actually acting out of revenge, which is another one of the explanations for serial killers, because he was dumped by Diane Edwards. So he killed a bunch of people because she dumped him and that hurt his self. Well, he was an emotional manipulator. One of the signs I read aloud before and when I was doing my research, being emotionally disconnected doesn't necessarily mean you're not charming. It just means that you can't feel anything to a point where you're pathological. And some of these guys have been married, they've had kids, but either they had a hit in the head, a blow to the head, or they just snapped. Most of them just cannot sustain a relationship. Men that can't make long relationships with others. So in effect, some of them use serial killing as a way of having a one night stand 
where they rape and, and women then kill her to destroy evidence, dump her body by the side of the road or whatever, like uh, Ed Kemper out in California, and then go on to the next because they're incapable of a sustained romantic intimate relationship. And so, as I said, some of these guys have had a head injury, literally been knocked unconscious, and then they wake up. And we've had several in our past podcasts that had that type of situation where they just turned into a serial killer, a sexual sadomasochistic serial killer. Yes. Was that scientifically proven that it was the knock in the head? Because I've always felt that maybe the knock in the head brought it to the surface, but deep down there, it's in your head. Yeah, it actually injures the brain, and here's the doctor. There are other uh, men who... Uh, were raised in fairly good homes or even rather normal homes, but who suffered a head injury that affected these key areas in the frontal lobe, such as Richard Serrett in Georgia, who was raised in a wealthy home, went around killing 10 women uh, after he had married and he had a daughter, but then he got kind of fed up with the marriage, uh, etc. Now, he had suffered two bouts of prolonged unconsciousness when he fell from jungle gyms and things like that when he was a kid, after which he underwent a dramatic and swift change in his personality. The same thing, by the way, that happened to Phil Garrido, uh, who was a normal kid in a normal home, but who fell off his older brother's uh, motorcycle when he was 14, and within days, he was unconscious, had to have a brain operation. Within days, he began to develop rape fantasies. Uh, and then carried out a number of rapes and finally kidnapped that uh, young J.C. Dugard girl that he kept for 18 years and had two children by her. You got one creep me out. I'm sorry. I'd always see it in the magazines. As a kid, I'd be like, oh, my gosh. I would look left, right? What's so interesting about the brain is that you have a head injury. Some people become rapists and serial killers. Other people will gain the ability to play music where they, you know, they've never played a piano in their life and they become concert pianists uh, or they're able to become artists or they're like mathematicians and math geniuses. It's the brain is so strange when it's injured and then repairs, something happens. And it's, this is fascinating to this me. This is really interesting. Let me ask you a question. I know we talked about it in our last podcast, how you know, the death penalty in certain cases of mental health, some cases permit it and some don't, in our opinions, of course. Do you think a head injury would... Mitigate the death penalty? Yeah, I do. Be yes, because it's rewired their brain, but it doesn't make them mentally ill. So that's a really difficult question, and I don't think it's one of the mitigating factors that the court looks at. And how do we prove the fakers vs. the real injuries? Well, I guess if they're in the hospital and they're unconscious, you know. I mean, well, anybody can get hit in the head, and, like, doctors can be like, you're perfectly fine, but then they're like, oh, changed well, I me. <laughs> yeah, I, I got hit in the head. Uh, but here is that mental health expert again. Uh, so there's a, and about 30% of the serial killers have experienced some form of rather serious head injury. So that's a, that's a factor that not too many people know about, but that's important also. Uh, so the, the bulk of them, however, have come from horrible homes where the early damage and, and um, misery of their home uh, becomes a, uh, a motivating force later for seeking revenge uh, against uh, those who had hurt them, plus which they have also been raised in such a way that they don't have the social skills in order to kind of compensate for that and to make a good relationship anyway and kind of get past it. So they're stuck, you know, they're mired uh, in the misery of their childhood forever. Reminds me of Tyler Hadley, but he didn't have a miserable childhood. He's the hammer guy that beat his parents uh. in the head with the hammer. 
But there was, how was that revenge? I guess they took his phone away. Yeah, that one was the one that really stuck with me because a lot of the killers, not just serial killers that we've talked about in Florida, have had horrible childhoods. We've always said that it stems back to their childhood. But him specifically... No, his parents gave him everything and he killed him. They even offered him help. Yes, they did. They tried to help him. And he came back from rehab, climbed, remember, he climbed out the window? Well, he's just a sociopath, I guess. He didn't care because he threw a party at the house after he killed him. Even in jail to this day, remember we were talking about he still doesn't have remorse. No, but that's not a, he's not a serial killer because he's only killed two people. But sociopath versus yes. psychopath, I guess. And they get a pleasure from killing as well. So you had brought up the idea that you dated a guy for a long period yeah, of time. Yeah, I dated a guy for almost seven years. And we broke up, I think, over a year ago because he was cheating on me. And I had no idea. So I would think if you can't even tell your boyfriend's cheating, how could you tell the signs that they could be chopping up bodies in the back? <laughs> That they're a serial killer? <laughs> I think that there's a, a long reach between cheating and serial killing. But I understand what you're saying in terms of everyone has that file. Things are not as they appear. Everybody has that file. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's things that we don't let other people know about our, ourselves. We're, well, with serial killers, they're the emotional manipulation and the ability to just blend in, I guess, for Ted Bundy or even Samuel Little. So my thinking is, how could you tell your boyfriend's a serial killer? Especially if none of these psychopathic signs are showing up, none of the mental issues are showing up. And so if you're a parent, you're worried your kid is a potential serial killer. We're or gonna you're give dating you, one. We're going we're gonna to give you some uh, 11 indications that your child could become a serial killer. But remember, you cannot diagnose the child until they're 18. And furthermore, mental health experts cannot diagnose a serial killer like they can't diagnose Ted Bundy if they've never met him. And even if they've met him, you can't really diagnose from afar. All you can do is point out the I'm surprised it's 18 because I thought men's frontal lobes aren't fully developed until they're 25. Yeah, no, they cannot be diagnosed until the age 18. Until then, the child is said to have conduct disorder. So there are 11 signs uh, that your child might become a serial killer. And there are not many psychopaths in the population, by the way. 1% of the population is a psychopath. That's really weird, but it only takes one, right? But of that, half of the violent crimes are carried out by that 1%. So it's that bad seed, that 1% mm, the of bad egg. The, the bad egg that's carrying out the violent crimes. So in children, you want to look for something called callous emotional traits. And this would be uncaring behavior, pre-psychopathic, which they really don't want to label your kid as pre-psychopathic. Sensitivity. It's, yeah, it's more of the conduct disorder. Don't panic if after I tell you these signs, your child exhibits some... You still it, could be good. If not all, you could be. <laughs> it could be okay. Little Billy might not be a serial killer. Little Billy may need to go to a shrink, though. Yes. So as you brought up the McDonald triad, one through three of these 11 signs that your child may become a, a serial killer, number one is bedwetting. Yes. And it's a sign of trauma when a child does And a lot of it's kids... It's very common. It's very common. So... Or if your child urinates on furniture or urinates on other children. So the bedwetting is a sign of trauma. And the others, urinating on furniture, urinating on other children, that is a sign of domination. Wanting power early on. Over other people. 
Number two, arson fascination with fire and destruction. It develops into a desire to set small fires and then arson. It doesn't just start with your kid grabs a lighter and starts burning things up. They're like fascinated with the flicker of a flame of a candle. And then they become more fascinated. Then they start lighting matches. And then they start burning little fire. And then they set the house on fire. Yeah, so take the matches away, guys. Okay, so you've got the bedwetting. You've got the fascination with fire. Killing or torturing small animals. Again, it doesn't start with they take Fluffy out back and pull her tail off. Um, it starts with perhaps a stuffed animal. Oh, man. Or they take a teddy bear and they remove the arms and the legs and they flush it down the toilet. Or like a lot of my girlfriends when I was little would remove the Barbie doll arms. Oh, I did that too. I, I removed the head and threw it over the high tension lines and cut her hair. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're not a serial killer. <laughs> I only had that one trait. Um, so, yes, it it starts out with stuffed animals. Some children, you know, as I said, that they might put it in a drawer and slam the head shut in the drawer. So if your kid is exhibiting kind of violent behavior toward their animals and then eventually toward the family pets, because some kids are rough with it. With yeah. an, and family pets don't like kids sometimes because of that. But it doesn't mean they're going to be a serial killer. So number four, cre- uh, cheating friends, enemies, and family out of stuff like stealing the your friend's toys manipulator yeah stealing and taking stuff that's not theirs that's that another, makes sense that's, kind of it's another indication or cheating them out of stuff um young children who ignore other children who are crying how interesting is that that's number five if you they can't recognize the stress in someone's face so everyone therefore is someone that they have to be leery of, someone that they feel may attack them because they don't see when the feeling of distress comes over the face, they treat that with aggression because they think that that person is a threat and rather than someone who's submissive. Oh, really? I took it as they just don't want to hear the crying so they ignore it. They can't perceive it. How can you tell that? So then therefore everyone is, yeah, everyone's a threat. Very scary. This matters because it's an inability to recognize the stress that le- and this leads to aggression. Isn't that weird? I don't know how you could tell that though if you're not a professional. Well, if your child doesn't react to the brother or sister crying and being very upset or hurt. Oh, hurt I get, but if they're crying, maybe they just don't want to hear it. <laughs> maybe they're just ignoring well, it. Well, again, like, this is not all or nothing. All right, little Tiffany. Yeah. Enough's enough. Yeah. Knock it off. Snap out of it. (laughs) Um, Also, attacking someone dominant, like a school teacher. That's another one. Isn't that common? Mm, Not really. Like in kindergartners, you know, that whole biting thing? or Oh, yeah, that biting thing. I didn't even get into that. Especially when there's a weapon used, though. They say if the attack is unprovoked, it's worse. So, an un, you know, when a kid, little Billy goes up to the teacher and stabs her in the thigh with a scissor, oh my gosh. that's a problem. Yeah, I would You say. add that to arson bedwetting and not knowing that my sister or brother's crying, you have a, you have a budding serial killer. Uh, children who commit crimes alone or fantasize about crime that introduces violence into crime as well. A child doesn't want to be the cause of death, but they want to see death. They want to watch it. Like you go by... Uh, an accident and they're unable to see the bodies or the hurt people and they want to see that and that irritates them yeah or if their goldfish or hamster died and they're very interested right true or they killed it you say what they want to see the dead or injured bodies that this is called the callous unemotional trait when they want to see a some of them want to actually see the human die 
I, I made the mistake of watching one of those. Remember um, oh, Jihadi John when he used a switchblade to cut the head off of Daniel Pearl? Oh, you watched and, that? And, and Sotlaw from here in Miami. I oh, watched man. it, and you can't unwatch that. And it's very disturbing. It's hard as a reporter because you want to delve into the facts and really capture everything, but at the same time, you're, we're human. It would bother you because you don't have those sociopath or psychopath traits, but I guess arguably it wouldn't bother. Callous emotional trait. I'm, mm-hmm. No, I'm way too emotional. I, I cannot watch those commercials where the dog's in the crate, you know, and they're like, you got to call now and pay 30 cents for to save the dog. I'm thinking you got a camera there. Help the dog. The Sarah Evans song. Yes, the Sarah. In the arms. (laughs) Yes. And Angel, right? I can't. I can't. I cannot. Well, I don't watch commercials that much, but I'd flip it too. Yeah. I cry at the cotton commercial. The touch, the feel of cotton. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So... Uh, desire to see disturbing images. We covered that. Child doesn't want to be the cause of death. Children can be fearless of consequences as well. They don't care if they're going to be put in timeout. They don't care about you're going to punish them. And they don't care that you're going to spank them or cause physical pain. That does nothing to prevent them from acting out. That's a problem. It's like Tyler Hadley. And then after the punishment, they resume the same behavior. That is one of that is number nine. It's a big one. They're still motivated by reward, however, but not by punishment. So what does that tell you about our legal system? Not good things. For the serial killer. They don't care. So really, when we revisit the idea that they come to Florida because it's a death penalty state. That makes a lot of sense. It's not because of the penalty. It's because they want to be killed and become their last victim. Well, most don't really feel fear, right? No. Or remorse. You're right. They have no fear of punishment. Number 10, when a child bullies other children, they have a desire for the child to create a fear in the other child. Well, that ties into power. Exactly, and dominance with the urinating on them. So they they want to bully them and urinate on them. That's a problem. Uh, And also cold parenting, no positive feedback, neglect and abuse. Uh, This would cause them to detach from their feelings. But sometimes parents can lead to psychopathy and then that person can become a bad parent. Well, we've talked about childhood trauma being a root for a lot of the serial killers on this podcast. Exactly. Even though maybe little Jenny and Billy have five or six of these traits, they may not grow up to be a serial killer. Speaking of which, these children do grow up to be adults and they begin dating. Lexi, wrap up our Full Rigor episode. Tying back to signs that your boyfriend is a serial killer because that's how this podcast came to be, I did more research and I found five signs that your boyfriend is the one or serial killer. Okay, so we'll wrap it up with these five signs. He surprises you at work. He cares so much about local news. He says the nicest things. The news one is interesting. So this means he's the one. The one or serial killer. That's why I think this is hilarious. He keeps his basement very clean. Ooh. I think they mean in general he's very clean. Okay. I don't know. Oh, he doesn't have a lot of body hair to leave, <laughs> to leave behind at the scene. He <laughs> never talks about his exes. Oh. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're all dead. So I guess he's either a serial killer or he's the one if he cares about the news and he doesn't talk about his ex. Oh, wow, that's scary. Yeah, you know, as I said, everyone's got that file. Things are not as they appear. And it's hard to know the real person. It's hard to know. And it's scary. These online dating services and 
you're meeting a bunch of people that are not as they appear. It's very, it's very a scary, scary, scary world. I even sent you this one thing. This woman, before she was murdered, texted the murderer and was like, are you a serial killer? And he was like, no, of course not. Oh, no. Well, yeah, right. He's going to tell her. But remember, only 1% of the population is a sociopath or a psychopath. So the odds are in your favor you're not going to meet one. <laughs> but... They are out there. I guess we'll end this on a Hunger Games note. May the odds be ever in your favor. I love it. That wraps up Full Rigger. Thank you, Lexi. Love being here. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes. From running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton. Motivation that moves you.